Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This is Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network in conjunction with the Sampson Family Foundation, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. Now here's Ralph and your host, Mac McDonald. Welcome to the Winter Circle Network, and this is Center Court with Ralph Sampson. I'm Mac McDonald, and it's uh, it's great to have you. Great to be here for another week, Ralph. To have Jim Gray today, and if people don't know that name, they're going to know uh, the name and the face. He's got a book coming out. We'll talk more about that later. But Jim Gray is with us today. What a terrific, terrific catch for you uh, to for us to have Jim Gray. Well, Mac, been knowing Jim for a long time, but over the last number of years, I was able to reconnect with him in LA when I was living there. I go into a restaurant, he's sitting there eating a pizza or something, having a beer, whatever he's doing. And we see each other, hey, how you doing, et cetera. And we reconnect, exchange phone numbers and uh, just kind of kept in touch through that and then different events as well. And obviously you see him at games, you see him commentating, you see him with special interviews, which is phenomenal. And I'm looking forward to this interview because now I get to ask him questions I couldn't ask him basically. <laughs> down having to deal with him because we became we became good friends. Yeah, his his book has been a bestseller since November. It's really you know talking to goats, and we'll get into all that. It's uh, it's really really good. And he you you were interviewed by him at one time, right? Didn't you have a jump shot that meant something, or a, not a jump shot, but a miracle shot that he talked to you? Yeah, a miracle shot against the Lakers. I mean, he was out in the locker room with his microphone like a, a regular reporter, but, you know, sitting down interview, no, but he's always there giving highlights of something after a game or something, a major event. So I've seen him across the board quite a number of times, and I'm sure he will talk about a little bit of that in our interview. Yeah, that'll be that'll be good. And just, you know, looking at what looking at what reporters do and, you know, are you afraid to ask the question? Are you afraid not to ask the question? I know I'll have a lot of things on the subject. Well, before we we get to Jim, I just want to say, um, do you have a lot of plans this summer? I like to think that June for me is the beginning of summer. I know it's not the official date yet, but do you uh, what is it you enjoy about summer? Do you get to see family a little more? Do you travel a little bit? What is what, what does summer mean to you? Well, normally summer kind of tells also in the springtime, there's a lot, you know, March Madness, NBA playoffs, all of, you know, there's just a, a plethora of events, golf tournaments start, right? And mm-hmm. in, in the springtime, you don't want to do them in the summer, the heat, right? So typically the summer kind of draws early for me, but now with COVID happening, summer camps are going to happen again. So I think it's kind of back in, 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 in bloom, right? So it's going to be a full pack summer. And then it goes into the fall where now you have the Hall of Fame induction again with Bader Ackerman that we had on the show before. Right. Like I said, I'm excited about between now and November because there's a lot of events that typically have not gone off in the last year that now I'll probably have to pick and choose which one I go. I can't go to all of them, but there's some that's special out there that I like to attend. Summer workouts are so important for basketball guys and especially – uh, I would think the AAU. Are you still involved at all with AAU? Do you see any AAU? Is AAU still a, a huge entity? Yeah, AAU is still huge. It, it's kind of 
slowing down a little bit. I mean, the Boo Williams in Virginia is probably the king of AU. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I didn't have AU when, when I was coming up. We had the five-star clamps and clinics, and you go to a camp for a week, you change. I mean, like I went to North Carolina basketball camp. I went to Kentucky basketball camp. Wow. I went to Maryland basketball camp. We have Lethbridge there on as well. And those were fun to go to because you spent a week and you got a chance to see the campus and hang out a little bit. But AAU to me, it's um, I never really never liked the AAU because all you're doing is have the kid play the game of basketball, right. put them in a position, and that's it. You travel, put two or three kids in the same room. To me, it was a nightmare. So um, it's still around, but it's still a viable uh, place for people to go. And now the shoe companies have kind of taken over the AAU because when you're a shoe company, you're a shoe company team, and the coach that with, with a shoe company, you got to go to that event. And that's where you recruit from. And, and you never got tired of the sales pitches then from all the camps. Hey, could we show you our campus today? Oh, I love them. I love them. <laughs> love the I attention. At, I, I can tell it now. I was, I was at Maryland camp with Lefty, and I played with the counselors, and me and John Lucas, and boy, we went out to lunch, and my, it was the week of my birthday. I had a birthday party, so it was fun. That's ah, great stuff. All right, the Winter Circle Network. This is Center Court. Jim Gray, when we come back after the break, we'll be right back after this. Hang on. Hi, this is Mac McDonald, host of Center Court. I've known Ralph Sampson for over 40 years. I watched him grow as a basketball player, achieving greatness at the University of Virginia and at the professional level. I always admired his work ethic and the things he did to be the best. Since he founded the Sampson Family Foundation, so many people, young and old, have benefited from Ralph's efforts. The mission for the foundation is simple, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. The foundation promotes charitable and community input, educational development, health and fitness, and scholarship opportunities. The Samson Family Foundation's initiatives focus on patients with cancer, educational scholarship programs, and give students guidance in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. If you'd like to learn more, call 540-615-5097. The website is samsonfamilyfoundation.org. Uplift, empower, educate. It takes teamwork to make the dream work. The fans got very upset because uh, they felt it was an intrusion on the ceremony and that it was the, the wrong time and the wrong place. Uh, uh, but the questions uh, had to be asked of Pete uh, at that time. Uh, a lot of folks very upset with me, uh, you know, making all kinds of threats and calling in voicemails and sending in letters. Uh, it just uh, spiraled to the point uh, where, uh, you know, it got uh, uh, very difficult. You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Once again, here's Ralph and Mac. Welcome into the Winner's Circle Network. Uh, this is uh, just a, a real honor to speak to this guy. And, you know, four decades of sports reporting, Ralph, a 12-time Emmy Award winner, and he's on the Hollywood Walk of Fame as well. So, I mean, this guy has done it all. He has talked to everybody in the world. So, Ralph, I'm going to let you say hi because – We've got several questions for the one, the only Jim Gray. The Hollywood Walk of Fame. I didn't know, I didn't know that. I mean, I don't, I don't know how you get that honor, but uh, thanks for joining us. And tell me about the Hollywood Walk of Fame. What, you got a star there or something? Cause I, I knew you were Emmy winner and all that, but that's impressive. <laughs> that the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Well, great to be with you, Ralph. Mac, thanks for having me. Great to be on your podcast. Uh, yeah, that was back in 2004 or 2005, and, and Johnny Grant was the mayor of, of Hollywood, and uh, uh, he, he, he was the one that made the decisions, and the uh, Los Angeles uh, City Council, uh, they're the ones that uh, do all that, and it was a great honor. A lot of people showed up. We had a lot of fun. Uh, that, was, uh, that was about 16, 17 years ago, 
So uh, uh, a lot of steps have been taken since uh, a lot of people have been traipsing on me ever since. <laughs> Ralph, you know, he's in the, uh, he got the Kurt Gowdy Media Award, Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame, and his book, uh, Talking to Goats, was released in November. How's the book doing, Jim? And I've read it. A lot of people are just saying great things about it. Well, it's doing great. And, uh, uh, you know, Greg Bishop uh, from Sports Illustrated wrote it with me and he did a great job. And, you know, I'm happy, uh, uh, happy that he was, uh, he, he was just so great to deal with and uh, put it all together. And it, it took us about uh, three years uh, to do the book and a uh, lot, lot of interviews, you know, tens of thousands of interviews and games and things that have been mm -hmm. covered. And so uh, uh, to, to put it together, uh, you know, I had no idea. I've been talking my whole life, talking for a living. So I, you know, it's a, just a whole different, different aspect of, of media that, you know, I really had no idea. Uh, I read books. I had never tried to write one. And, uh, uh, when you're doing it, you know, the, the effort and the detail and the time that goes into it, uh, uh, Mac is, is really, you know, quite incredible. So when I see now Greg have a cover story for Sports Illustrated, and that's done within the time frame of anything from a day to a week to a month, uh, and, and, and you see uh, the amount of work that, that it takes for Greg to do something like just a cover for Sports Illustrated, um, it's, it's really quite remarkable what a lot of us, at least myself, I shouldn't say a lot of us, what, what I've always taken for granted when I read those stories, and, and really the depth and, and, and amount of detail and work that goes into, uh, into a story like that. And now, uh, you know, amplify that by trying to put it into a book. So, mm -hmm. uh, books done great. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm grateful for it. So, uh, you know, the goat, I mean, I mean, obviously you probably are the goat in the sports world broadcasting arena, but that word has come up you know, many times over the last number of years. What made it the book, The Goat? And I mean, I don't know if some people understand what G-O-A-T means, right? What, what is the meaning of that? But how did that come about? Because, you know, LeBron, Kobe, Matt, all these people are goats. But what is the real goat, in your opinion? But how did that name come about in your, in your book? Ralph, the name came from Muhammad Ali, because he used to say, yeah, I'm the greatest of all time. And then he augmented and changed that to the greatest of all times. And Muhammad came out with a book with Howard Bigham. Uh, it yeah. was a big, huge Toshin book uh, of all the photos and, and kind of the captions of the photos and the story of his life. And he called it goat. And so my life has been the great fortune of talking to goats uh, from traveling with Ali and him being my first interview uh, that I ever did when I was uh, 17, 18 years old. Uh, back in Denver when I was a videotape editor to him allowing me to do the last interview that he ever did uh, on television. Uh, and, you know, then all the folks in between from, uh, you know, Dr. J uh, in, in, in my starting uh, in the profession uh, with the 76ers and, and at a station called Prism, uh, you know, all the way up and through uh, what we have now today with LeBron and, you know, several stops in between with um, Tiger Woods, when he was a real youngster, uh, one of the first interviews that he did and, and all of Mike Tyson's events. So GOAT is greatest of all times. Now, who is the GOAT? I wasn't trying to rank and I wasn't trying to say who is and who isn't and who will be. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't 
that type of a mission or that type of book. It, it was uh, uh, just the compilation of all the things that have happened in my career and trying to give people, you know, insight into, you know, the stories they remember, uh, uh, you know, the moments they remember, but the stories uh, they didn't know uh, and tried to amplify on my time with those folks uh, and, and what they are like and, and, and you know, just uh, try and highlight those aspects that uh, people probably uh, weren't aware of, of, of some of the most familiar people on the planet. And so it wasn't like trying to say that uh, Billie Jean King was better than Serena Williams or that, you know, Mary Lou Retton should be ahead of, of Olga Corbett or that uh, Michael Jordan is better than LeBron James. That's not what it was. Uh, so, so, so that, that's a, I mean, I've never heard anybody put it, but it's actually really true. But at the end of the there is a, there is a, a bond with, from Muhammad Ali to Michael Jordan. There's something special about each one of these people that's in the GOAT category, right? What do you think that is? Because you've interviewed them, you've seen them, you know, on the court to field, but you also had a personal relationship with them, especially Muhammad Ali to Mike Tyson, you know, off the field in the interview, pre-interview, post-interview, et cetera. What do you think is the tie that bonds those type of athletes that become or are in the category as a GOAT? They're all myopic in their view of wanting to be the best and doing whatever it takes to be able to stand on the top step of the victory platform. And then not to do it just once. Tom Brady wrote in the forward, Tom Brady wrote the forward in talking to goats. And he said, it's not what somebody does in their twenties one time. That's a great act. It's over the sustained period of time that he views what greatness truly is. So to be able to do this when you're 22, and then in his instance, to be able to do it again when you're 43, Right. Okay. Or to be able to do this as the youngest heavyweight champion in the world. And then as Mike Tyson just demonstrated to still be the most popular boxer on the planet all these years later at age 54 and come back and have everybody wanting to watch and see you, uh, uh, you know, against Roy Jones Jr. in an exhibition that was meaningless <laughs> to see what it was that, you know, they missed or that generation didn't see. So, um, they all go about it in different ways. Just look at Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps, for almost his entire adult life and his childhood, spent his time underwater staring at a black line. Now just think about that. To try and figure out how to be a fingernail ahead of somebody from around the rest of the world or the blink of an eye so that he could go to all of those Olympics and win those 23 gold medals and those 28 medals overall. So he dedicated himself and his life to the tedium, to what has to be, you know, outright mental, you know, despair and distraught to do that over and over and over and over again to want to be the best. And to not do it just once, but to do it 23 times, 28 times as a medalist. So how do you, how do you, how do you describe or how do you get into someone's mind? And, you know, it took a toll. Greatness takes a toll. Julius Irving told me a long time ago, do you know anybody who is truly successful, who is at the top of their profession, who doesn't have one major quirk or flaw in their personality? All right. 
Do you know anybody like that, Ralph? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, Julius is a, a class act, as we know, and he's mentioned that same statement to me many, many times uh, because as a young young uh, player, I watched them play against the Lakers in the championship series. I was at University of Virginia. I drove from Mac, Florida to Philly to watch the, when they won the championship with Moses before I got drafted or in, in, uh, in the, uh, the NBA and all that kind of stuff as well. But class act Julius, he's always said that, right? And he was at the top of the ladder and he's still very legendary and classic today, right? There's nothing like a Julius Irving. Even today, uh, he can walk in the room in the building and he's going to you know, still be electrified with the crowd or whatever, just by waving his hand. So definitely understand that. And he had time for everybody. I mean, yes. it wasn't it something that it didn't matter whether it was the chairman of the board or the janitor or a youngster or somebody in a wheelchair or the mayor or whoever it was. He had, he had five minutes for everybody and he looked them all in the eye and he heard their story and he signed the autograph and he took pictures long before people were taking pictures and Absolutely. walking around with cell phone cameras and so forth. And, you know, it, it was it was a joy to be around him. I learned a lot from Julius in, in the early days, and and he treated me like a member of the family. I said that uh, at the at the Naismith Hall of Fame when I, I was given the opportunity to win the award and and my speech during the induction ceremonies, and um, to have been treated so well by him and to see how he treated everybody was just such a great example. And uh, to have been around Julius uh, and, and you know it set the stage. Um, for you know the decorum of how somebody should act and behave and i just never forgot it and uh, yeah. it, it had a big impression bill said he stopped the fight you bit him was that a retaliation for the eye when you bit him in his ear regardless of what i did he bit booked me for two fights but you got to address it mike why i did, did address it? no i did address it i addressed it in the ring why, why did you do that, though, Mike? I mean, was look that the proper me. response? Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. I got to go home. My kids are going to be scared of me. Look at me, man. This is Center Court, presented by the Winner's Circle Network in association with the Sampson Family Foundation. Welcome back to the Winner's Circle Network. This is Center Court with Ralph Sampson, and our guest is Jim Gray, uh, a guy who's just been in it for a long time and, and truly one of the great uh, greats. His book is called Talking to Goats, The Moments You Remember and the Stories That You Never Heard. It was released in November, and uh, Tom Brady called him, uh, uh, called him scratchy. Uh, the words used, uh, Ralph, well-prepared, not afraid. Uh, as he talked about Muhammad Ali, I'm the greatest He's the latest. At age 18, interview with Ali went pretty well because Muhammad Ali called Jim Gray the local Howard Cosell. That's got to be the that's got to be the great label ever, I think, Jim. Well, it was the best compliment best compliment of my life at that time, and uh, I didn't know I was going to be interviewing Ali. I was a videotape editor. Uh, I was an intern who became a videotape editor because they were converting from film to videotape. So all of the union guys took the buyout. They didn't want to learn a new craft, so they hired all of these young men and women. And I was at the University of Colorado and got my job uh, uh, at KBTV, which was the ABC station in Denver uh, back then. It's now KUSA. And so the assignment editor came running in and she said, you know something about sports, don't you? I said, yes. She said, run out to the airport, <laughs> Muhammad Ali's two and a half hours early. And you know, back then, this was 1978, nobody had a cell phone, nobody had a beeper. <laughs> If you didn't answer your home phone at seven o'clock in the morning, they couldn't find you. So they right. couldn't find the news anchors. They couldn't find the sports people. They couldn't find anybody. So she sent me out there. I got out there and there was Ali. He was the most famous person on the planet. 
he was getting ready to fight uh, against Leon Spinks, uh, Leon Spinks, and then a- after Spinks, <coughs> excuse me, he was going to fight uh, in Denver at uh, Old Mile High Stadium. Uh, he was going to fight a man by the name of Lyle Alzado, who was a Denver Bronco mm-hmm. defense man, uh, went on to win a Super Bowl, uh, or went on to play with the Raiders and, and, and yes, yes. Uh, you know, became very famous. But anyway, so when I got there, uh, I sat down to do the interview and I asked Ali my first question. And he looked at me and he said, you're doing this interview? <laughs> and the whole entourage started to laugh. I mean, I wasn't even, I didn't even shave back then. Ralph. I didn't and, and, and here I was, this young kid. And, and so when he said that and the entourage laughed, you know, I started to laugh because it was funny because I had never done an interview before. Anyway, <laughs> by the third question, he said, you sound like the local Howard Cosell. <laughs> Mac, it truly was the best compliment I ever had because I'd been watching Howard Cosell my whole life with, sure. with Ali and all the great interviews that he had done and watched him on Monday Night Football. And, yeah. and, and so, you know, I was just like on cloud nine. Anyway, Ali gave me 45 minutes and wow. I came back to edit myself out because they weren't going to put, you know, an 18 year old on, on, you know, ABC in the news mm-hmm. there. And so I was editing myself out and the head of the ABC bureau, the man by the name of Roger Ogden, who was in charge of news walked in and he said, let me see that interview you did with Ali. Well, he watched it twice. So he spent an hour and a half with me and he really didn't even know who I was before then he had hired me, but I didn't have interaction with him. He had, you know, five or 600 employees. So it wasn't, you know, uh, maybe not that many, but he had several hundred employees and, uh, you know, afterwards he looked at it the second time. He said, huh, we're going to put you and this videotape on the air. Wow. It's barely adequate. So when I got inducted into the Boxing Hall of Fame, uh, I told everybody I've been barely adequate ever since. <laughs> <laughs> barely, barely, barely. How did you succeed? You worked for, you know, Fox and ABC and NBC and, you know, the 22 Super Bowls. We can go on and on and on. You've done everything there is to do uh, with all the politicians. How did you succeed, Jim, with gaining their trust and the access um, to the, you know, to the people, yes, live game situations, but I know you went back and, and had several, like several sit downs with Kobe and several, how did you succeed with that access with these people? Well, that's, that's a hard question to answer Mac, because, uh, I have a friend, a good friend of mine, uh, uh, Jerry Richardson, who owned the, uh, Carolina Panthers. Mm Mm-hmm. And Jerry Richardson said something many years ago to me. Uh, he was the only player to uh, play and then own a team. Uh, you know, he caught the pass against Johnny Unitas uh, back in the uh, late 50s from Johnny Unitas uh, and, and, and won the championship um, uh, in that game, uh, 1958, uh, against, uh, against the Giants. And he went on to own uh, the Panthers and George Hallis was a player and an owner, but uh, you know, George Hallis kind of, you know, uh, was uh, uh, in a different circumstance. So anyway, mm-hmm. Jerry Richardson said that true friendship is reciprocal. So I thought about that and, and I just can't decide. I just can't wake up and say, you know what, I'm going to be friends with Ralph Sampson or Kobe <laughs> Bryant or Jack Nicholson mm-hmm. or Tom Brady. It has to be, felt in return. Mm -hmm. And so there has to be a reciprocation because if somebody's always giving, uh, then that sets up a a circumstance where there's a dependence. And if someone's always taking, 
you know, then at some point, uh, you know, somebody's going to become resentful. Mm-hmm. So it has to go both ways. So true friendship and true relationships are reciprocal. So I can't sit here and tell you what it is that people felt about me because I don't know. Only I know how I feel and they would have to answer how they feel. But I know what has happened is that those relationships have become true relationships. And so, you know, um, I've been lucky that, you know, uh, Tom Brady has elected to, to do a radio show with me for 11 years. Mm-hmm. And that Opie trusted me and that Mike Tyson writes on the back of the book that I became his most trusted friend. But that's really a question, you know, um, that you'd have to ask them, uh, those who are still here. In terms of Ali, Lani Ali uh, has said in, in many of the interviews that she has done uh, for the book uh, uh, with me and so forth, that Muhammad uh, saw in me uh, giving a youngster an opportunity and that he, he wanted to give young people an opportunity. And so he took pride and uh, and 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 he was, and 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 he wanted to be the guy who gave people a chance. So when he gave me that chance, and then it grew, and then it built, and I was able to go to all of his fights and interview him because he had seen that other people got a kick out of it. Uh, he got a big kick out of out of out of wanting to, you know, uh, be under his tutelage and and mentor to a certain degree, and to see that uh, the opportunity that he afforded. Not just me, but many others, not just in sports casting, uh, but in all walks of life, uh, you know, was something that that gave him a lot of uh, fulfillment. And uh, so uh, from that aspect, uh, there was, you know, not necessarily uh, uh, a motive, uh, but there was something that Ali saw in in giving people uh, from all different walks of life an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Uh, him to become better and to spread good for future generations for good. So uh, in terms of that relationship, uh, Lonnie has explained that very well. And again, you know, it's, 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 it's just an act of, you know, tremendous kindness on his behalf, but, and my good fortune. Um, Some, you know, what did, what did, what did, what did John Wooden say, Ralph, that uh, preparing to fail is failing to prepare, but luck is the residue of fine, right? The lucky, the harder I worked, the luckier I got. So I got lucky and then I started to work hard. The the thing there that, you know, and I can say it from my perspective, from the athlete side as well, but it still resonates from Jim, as you're talking about Ali, right? So at 18, 19 years, it started there, but there's some reporters, and, 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 and you got to remember that in Houston, I had the good reporter, I had the bad reporter, right? You had the guy, the good cop, the bad cop, they write the story. But to me, Jim, when you when, when people know it's you, uh, especially it sounds that Ali early on knew that you had something special, right? So you 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 walk around the arena of a gym and tap somebody on the shoulder and interview them right there, and they know you will ask good questions and it's going to be exciting and fun and respectful. So I think that's part of your mystique as far as who you are and what you've done. So when I see a show or a sportsman and you interview, I know the question is going to be good. And I know the, the athlete or whoever there is going to respond in a, in a very good way and answer the questions no matter what you ask. So I think that's that that was crucial at 18. But I think it still exists today in you. And I think it's uh, uh, I commend you for that because I like to watch you uh, on the field, on the court, because I know it's going to be good. Well, thank you. Thank you, Ralph. But you said something really key, which is really exactly right. When you do hundreds of interviews with Dr. J, 
and Muhammad Ali. Every other athlete sees that and they say, if Julius is cool with him, right. he must be all right. He must be able to be trusted. And so that spreads. So that opens the doors with Moses Malone and Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. And you don't have to go knock them down yourselves because they're just seeing what transpires with somebody who they admire and somebody who they really respect. And they keep seeing it over and over again. And they say, you know what? I'm not really taking much of a chance here. It's going to be honorable. It's going to be fair and it's going to be respectful. So let's see how it goes. So it's not like you're having to constantly, you know, knock down a building to get through that door. It's been done for you. And it was done for me by those people. It was done by Chuck Daly. It was done by Julius Irving. It was done by Muhammad Ali. And so by the time I got to Tyson, he had seen all that. Right, right. <laughs> and by the time I got to Kobe, I, I knew Kobe when he, when he was in Pam's arms as <laughs> a three-month-old. Jelly Bean Bryant. And, yeah. and, 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 and then, you know, in the arenas in San Diego, when, when, when pop was playing for the Clippers and so forth, you know, so there was a familiarity uh, that had existed, you know, not as a, as an ongoing presence, but from time to time throughout his whole life. Yep. So um, what you said is, 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 is true today that when you have been fortunate enough to have everybody else, you know, kind of co-sign and say, he's good with me. It makes you good with them before you start. So one day I'm walking back from the studios and I walking through, ironically, Strawberry Fields and there's Yoko Ono. And so I said, hello, Mrs. Mrs. Ono. Hello, Yoko. I'm, I'm Jim Gray. I wave to you all the time. And we talked and she was very pleasant. About a minute and a half, two minutes, three minutes, whatever it was, not long. And so uh, I said, well, maybe we should have a Coca-Cola one time or get together and have some coffee. And she said, no, I prefer to wave. The Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation present Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball star Ralph Sampson. Again, here's Ralph and Mac. Welcome back on the Winner's Circle Network. This is Center Court with the great Jim Gray. Ralph Sampson is here, of course. And uh, Jim, asking the tough question has been one of your uh, mainstays and a couple of elements uh, I'd like for you to cover is that do you prep the people a lot of times when you have to add, you know, Barry Bonds on steroids, Pete Rose, uh, you know, with the, that story, uh, the Tyson, when you had asked Tyson about the ear thing with Hollyfield and I saw Tyson, you know, there's legendary video clips of you in the boxing ring where it looks like they want to bite your head off, you know, these athletes and these boxers, how do you handle a, the tough question, and B, how did you become not afraid to ask the big question? Well, I've never been afraid because I was just curious and I just wanted to ask these guys what had taken place from what was just in front of us or what pertained to the game that had taken place uh, or the match that had taken place uh, that, that we had just seen. So I never, and, and I've never felt in peril by any of the people that I've, that I've interviewed. I've never felt like, you know, Mike Tyson, Mike Tyson one time threatened to kill me on the air. <laughs> 45 seconds later, he kissed me on the cheek. And let me tell you, 25 years later, it's still far more disturbing that he kissed me than when he threatened to kill me. <laughs> so, you know, you're just, you're just trying to do your job. And when you're, when you're asking questions that are about what has gone on or why it is that something occurred, 
you know, you, 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 you have a responsibility to yourself, to the people you work with, and to the audience. Uh, all of those constituents, you know, you, ha you have to, to try to satisfy. So I've never thought that asking a tough question was that tough. And somebody asked me that same question, Mac, Mike Tyson mm -hmm. and I did the round table uh, in 2018 uh, in Canastota. And somebody asked Mike, you know, you know, Jim used to piss you off or Jim used to ask you those questions. And Mike gave his answer. And I'd never thought of it in, until 40 years later. And I said, you know what? Mike Tyson just got hit in the head 150 times by Evander Holyfield. <laughs> Tom Brady has been sacked four times by Michael Strahan. Kobe Bryant has had his feet stepped on the entire game, been elbowed in the side of the head by LeBron James or whoever he happened mm. to be playing. Do you really think that anything that I asked them after the contest <laughs> is that difficult and that hard? <laughs> if it is, if it is, Ralph, how did they ever compete against the people they were just in front of? True, true. So as long as it's not mean, unfair, malicious, or, you know, way out of bounds, as long as it pertains to what it is that caused them to perform, it's really not that tough a question. And if the people who are being interviewed think it is, they have a choice. They don't have to do the interview. There's no gun to anybody's head. I can't force anybody. They're not, they're not there under duress. They're there by choice. Well, Mike, the, the, special, uh, Jim, the special time, I, just, I, mean, I remember the Mike Tyson stuff as well. So the heat of the battle after the game, when your mind is just, you're still sweaty, you're still hot, you can ask any question you want because of the emotions and the excitement still there. And then they go back and look at the interview like that was a crazy question at that point in time. But, you know, it, 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 you get them right at the heat, right? And, and the emotions of the game or the event is still within the person's body, right? Although you said Mike got hit 150 times, he he can't even think straight at that point in time, right? <laughs> he just trying to get get over and get to the locker room, get showered, and go through his routine. But you can ask those questions. Like I hate when the, the reports like get interview after the game. That's the worst time to interview me after the game because I'm still revved up and ready to go. So I'm gonna be excited, much more excited after the game because if I lost, I'm gonna be dejected. If I won, I'm gonna be elated, right? So those type of situations I'm sure are different than you know weeks later after an interview. Well, but that's when it's most real. Yes. That's when it's most real. You want the emotion of that moment. I mean, Bob Costas said this, uh, and, 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 and he said I could use it, and, and I took it from him, and, and, and he's exactly right when he says this. He said, you know what? Muhammad Ali was great. Muhammad Ali will withstand the test of time for what he did, for what he achieved in the ring, what he achieved out of the ring, his social justice, uh, his standing up uh, against the Vietnam War, and all aspects of his life. He said, but we knew him a lot better because of Howard Cosell. Mm -hmm. Michael Jordan is great. Michael Jordan will always be great. But Michael Jordan's greatness was amplified by Marv Albert saying, a spectacular move. Mm -hmm. Okay, or Bob Costas saying, Bobby, or, or Bob Costas when he hits his final shot over Russell in Utah, or the Giants win the pennant. So you can point to all of these instances 
where either because of the interview or because of the caption, uh, uh, Johnny Most, Havlicek stole the ball. I mean, I can sit here for the rest of the time that we have on this podcast <laughs> and go through them. Those memorable, those moments become indelible because of the interviews or the captions that are happening in real time at that moment that go on and get played and replayed now millions and millions of times and excite the fans and bring the fans closer to the game. So to go do an interview with somebody three weeks after the fact, when you're not hot, Ralph, or right. you don't have that emotion, don't have it. won't glorify the achievement or won't have the agony of defeat. Yep. It'll yep. just be another loss. So, fact, yeah, uh, I mean, Mac, you, you call uh, Al McGuire. So, I mean, and, and that's a very true point. I, I, that's the best statement I've heard in a long time because think about the college athlete, a Zion, would only spend one year. So, the great Al McGuire would say, aircraft, here's the aircraft carrier. So, in college, that's what's one of my names of him, and you know, all the dips he do and all the stuff he has, right? So, the sports commentary actually builds that athlete's brand to me, right? And it, it, and it, it lives it, with you forever. It stays forever. It yes. lives with you forever, but that's because of the access that we're granted right. in those critical moments to be, you know, for the for the announcer and the play-by-play -play to be doing the game live, play-by-play -play and, 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 and color analysis. And, and for the reporter who's fortunate enough to be able to stand down there afterwards, uh, that's the, that stuff is priceless. And it's, it's priceless for the fans. And it's, it's priceless for, for the sports. And, and those are all of the things that are played and replayed over and over again. And now that we have YouTube and Hall of Fames and, and, and you know, uh, libraries and, and, you know, digital archives. And so, you know, you're, you're, you're still what Al McGuire called you all these years later, 40 years later. And that's what somebody comes up and says to you on the street or when they're fortunate enough to be in your presence. And, and you have to. Um, you, I, I can't speak for you, but I would think that that's something that, that you embrace and have to love. Yeah, I mean, I enjoy it because uh, what happens is the, uh, the, the years go on, the story gets much more embellished, right? So the fans' perspective of that play may be totally different than mine because they saw it in their moment, right? Now, I've had many experiences, but that fan may only saw the shot against LA, blah, 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 like what happened, this, that, and other, but I was telling people, we, you know, that whole series was kind of crazy, but those moments and that fans' time is very special when people, after you finish playing the game, right? Somebody comes there and shakes your hand. I was at a restaurant last night with my, 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 my sisters, and then another guy came up, Are you Ralph Sampson? You had the shot against the Lakers. But I, remembering when he was in high school and his high school played against Magic Johnson, Magic killed him by 62 points or something like that. So <laughs> I had to stay out in the parking lot for like 20 minutes talking to some guy I didn't know that was moving from Nashville to Boston, driving, and his family, like, and, I mean, so those moments are now special, right, that you can reflect back and have that fan respect back, no matter what they think about it or how they feel, they, they have a moment they, they, they can feel good. And that guy's never going to forget. No. These, it was 20 minutes out of your life that, you know, you probably didn't have 20 minutes, but that guy's never going to forget that. Yep. And he's going to take that everywhere with him. And he's going to say, yep. you know, Ralph, Ralph Sampson spoke to me and, and gave me that opportunity to tell my story. And, you know, Mandela said to me in an interview that I was lucky enough to do with him, uh, something that, uh, that I believe Maya Angelou had, had, had given to him, uh, but it was the most simplistically genius thing uh, that I had ever heard. And it's in, it's in the Talking to Goats book, but it, he said, people will forget what you say, 
and people will forget what you do, but no one will ever forget the way you make them feel. Yeah. And Ralph only talked to him because he didn't say the word chaminade. So it was, you know, so that, so that was okay. Uh, Jim Gray, uh, just a couple of more minutes, and, and we just uh, so much appreciate for your time. Were you, do you feel you were treated unfairly with the whole Pete Rose thing? No, I, I, you know, I didn't. I didn't like the backlash, and uh, unfairly. I mean, I, I, I wished it had gone different. You know, mm -hmm. and you know, obviously, Pete, you know, was lying. And has acknowledged that uh, in his book, and mm -hmm. acknowledged that with me now. Uh, we did an interview for the for the book, and uh, he he acknowledged that you know he handled it wrong, but that by admitting that he had gambled it would have been his immediate banishment for good. So he felt that he had to continue to lie, otherwise, you know, he wouldn't. You know, that he he thought they didn't have the goods. Turned out they did have the goods, and uh, you know, so he went about it in 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 a wrong and inappropriate way. Uh, which, which, which he says, you know, it's, it's, it's um, never pleasant to be at the eye of a storm or the hurricane. Mm -hmm. okay? I think that it's never going to end, but eventually it does. And then, you know, all of the destruction that, that, that was around, you know, gets cleaned up. So uh, it, it, it was a difficult time. And, uh, you know, but I learned a lot about myself and learned a lot about others. And while you wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy, in, in some ways, you're glad you, you go through it in retrospect because of the lessons that you learn. And, you know, um, when you take into account a lot of things, and I hadn't taken some of those things into account, there's a lot of people who are receiving this. The fans are receiving it. The media is receiving it. Players are receiving it. The institutions are receiving it. The advertisers are receiving it. The critics are receiving it. There's a confluence uh, and a web uh, that is on the other side of that camera who are hearing this all differently. Okay. And so um, Rupert Murdoch, who I had the opportunity to meet once uh, at a dinner, uh, I asked him, how do you take all of the criticism uh, and, and so forth? And he said something really interesting. He said, you know what? We dish it out pretty good. We better be able to take it. Mm -hmm. And then you look at, you know, yeah, they dish it out pretty good. <laughs> a lot of people all over the world. So when it comes back at him, you know, you better be able to take it. So I hadn't thought of it in those terms and I hadn't met him until maybe, you know, 10 or 12 years later, uh, just by, by accident. And, uh, uh, so I guess I had to be able to take it. Yeah. You don't like taking it. Well, Ralph, this guy with one of the most uh, incredible careers, and and Jim, really, it's just you're you're an institution, you're a rock, and uh, your book is is absolutely terrific and came at a, a very very you know great a wonderful time, and I think a lot of people can learn, you know, from you and your career. So, just I, I don't know if I can find the right words, but congratulations on on every piece of success that you've had. It's so well deserved. I won't say congratulations that because I know there's more to come. So what's next for Jim Gray? And I know you're working on projects. I saw the Mike Tyson special over the weekend. I saw you in there. What, what's next? So I know there's more in you. Next. I'm just going to keep doing what I've been doing. Just keep okay. doing these interviews and, and you know, uh, and enjoy the events. I mean, look, I, I never planned for any of this. It couldn't be planned. And um, it's exceeded any I it's far exceeded any idea that I would have ever had in my head had I had a plan. 
And so uh, I just want to keep doing what I've been able to do and, 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 you know, see what happens. I've met so many people, Ralph, and established so many relationships and I've been so fortunate to see all of these games and all of these cities with all of these people and great players. And so, you know, just going to keep doing it and, and, and enjoy it. And uh, uh, I want to thank you for always being accessible and available. Anytime, uh, anytime. You've, you've never said no. Uh, and you were just a joy to cover and, and, and great as a guy to, to be around. And, and I thank you. And Mac, I appreciate your kind words. And thank you so much for having me on your program. So now that I'm only 392 behind, call me. <laughs> the great Jim Gray on the Winter Circle Network with Rob Sampson. We'll continue right after this. To get into sports casting, you need experience just to get your foot in the door. I can't tell you how many times in my career somebody will ask me, how do I get into your business? How do I become a sportscaster? The first thing I ask is, what have you done? Do you have any experience? And the answer is normally nothing yet. It's because they couldn't find a program that provided the real world experience that you need to get started. So I set out to create a program designed for the next wave of sportscasting talent. And my partner was an obvious one, Full Sail University. Great track record in entertainment and media, great alumni group, and the ability to evolve as the industry changes. We're offering a bachelor's degree that combines the professional expertise that my fellow sportscasters and I have built our careers on with the technologies shaping the world of sports. To succeed in this business, you have to be ready for what's next. But the core of great sportscasting I don't think will ever change. And this program brings it all together. 30 minutes was not enough with Jim Gray today. I, I think I still have three pages of notes and questions. We're going to have to, I don't know, a three-part series, Ralph, maybe with Jim. I, he's a very, very special guy. Yeah, Mac, we might have to do something later with him and get, get him on and do a, a, a definitely a three-part series. Because, I mean, imagine interviewing Muhammad Ali, the greatest of all time, right? Mm -hmm. In his first first ever interview. Mm -hmm. And what do, you, what do you, I mean, you got to, have you know your eyes biggest you know he was 18 he was 18 years old i mean <laughs> i can go and pick up muhammad ali at the airport and i i get to interview him and become sure him over his career so i mean that, that that's never done that's an amazing story no it's it's terrific stuff and the fact that uh interesting where he talks about the the questions and they're never hard to ask he says and they are always all these people that even pete rose and and that controversy, and then and then Tyson when he asked him about, I mean, all the times he's had to ask the tough question, he ended up building a special relationship with the athlete or the person or the politician. It didn't make any difference, but he built the special relationship, which makes Jim Gray, I think, even more special as a human being, you know. And that's why he's won all the Emmys, and you know, absolutely. I mean, this show right here tells you and shows you why he's that special person. Oh, it, yeah. it, started, it started at a young age at 18, right? So yeah. something in him that, that he becomes the, 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 one of the goats of uh, uh, interviews, right? Because, yeah. I, I mean, if I sit there, with, I would, he could ask me anything. I could trust that he would ask in a respectful way, yeah. in a way that I could answer the question in a respectful way. I mean, think about Mike Tyson want to kill him, right? And then he goes back and kisses him. So Yeah, that, great stuff. Weird. No, it was really good. Well, speaking of special and what happened, and I know Harrisonburg, and we're we're happy with our new Harrisonburg affiliate. I'm so glad that they're with us now, WSVA. They've been Frank Wilt and company. They've been so good uh, to people for a long time, and now they're a part of the, the center court family. But how about JMU and what the, the Dukes accomplished? 
with their run, Odyssey Alexander and all the special people that uh, Lauren Laporte, the coach, and, and all that they did and how special it was to make that run and to really – I mean, many of the other coaches, Oklahoma and Alabama and all the other schools were saying JMU really put women's softball on the map, at least, you know, for this year with their run in the WCWS. I mean, Mike, Mike think about it and thank WSVA, but from, from, from the Tidewater area to now in the Shenandoah Valley, we are, you know, on the radio and now on Nationwide Podcast, but JMU is somewhat like that as well and their softball program because they've been on that, uh, elevated here for a number of years to become a really good national powerhouse in softball. Yeah. And be able to do that, uh, surprising everybody else. And then, you know, I was watching the news and look it up. I mean, they come back with a couple of thousand people greet. We lose, right? Yeah. Jimmy lose. They come back with a couple of thousand people greeting them as they get off the bus. Yeah. That's really what, I mean, the college experience in sports is really what it's all about. Win, lose, or draw. If you've got a good team and you can respect that team and you can build a program academically and athletically, College sports is really all about that to me from a student yeah. athlete's perspective. And being that it's in my hometown, Harrisonburg, it's even more special because now we electrify the city a little bit. Everybody was watching them play. Everybody in Harrisonburg was watching them play. Well, I'll go to work on an Odyssey Alexander expose and interview. Uh, we'll, ha we'll have to try to get her on because she got the standing I will, ovation. I'll work that out. I will work that what, out. Ralph, she threw 100, I mean, I'm sorry, 1,057 pitches. In wow. a week, in a week, so pretty, pretty special stuff. So, I mean, all right, her, her, her arm has to be tired, right? Yeah, unbelievable. All right, before we go, uh, camp start next week, right? For you, in two weeks. Yeah. Oh, in two weeks. All right, yeah. we'll look, look, uh, go to the Mass and Nutton website, you'll find out all about the Ralph Sampson camps, and they are special. Ralph, have a good week for Ralph Sampson. I'm Mac McDonald, that's center court on the winner's circle. You've been listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Our podcast is available on the Believe Network at BLEAV.com. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. For more information, log on to SampsonFamilyFoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. Teamwork makes the dream work. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.